Our Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Show us your glory, God. Speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one on the pew in front of you. If you are watching at home, we'd encourage you to take out a Bible and read along with us as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here in just a moment, we will begin in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. The idea this morning is, do not be deceived. That's the title of the message, that's the topic of what we're going to be talking about, of our text this morning. And I bet you feel like you've heard that a hundred times or more in the past year. Don't be deceived. People are lying to you. Don't be deceived. How many times have you heard that in politics, on social media, warning you? Misinformation could be contained here. Don't be deceived. There's fake news out there. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the mainstream media. Don't be deceived by the big news networks. Don't be deceived by that one outlet over there who is only telling you what the one side wants you to know and to hear. Don't be deceived. Everyone is crying out. Don't be deceived. This person is lying to you. That person is lying to you. No, this media outlet is lying to you. No, the other one's lying to you. But in a world where no one can agree on the truth, it's hard to know if that person saying, don't be deceived, is not doing the deceiving themselves. Or perhaps has actually been deceived themselves. In a world where no one can agree on what the truth is. It's hard to trust anyone. But thankfully, we have a trustworthy source of truth. Truth given once for all that never changes. And let's go to it right now. God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now notice how Paul starts off this text saying that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives us a list of what unrighteous lives look like. But notice the way in which he's saying this. Look closely. Verse 9. He starts off and he says, Don't you know? Do you not know? Don't you know that the unrighteous 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Don't you know this? Now think about this with me. In our trek through 1 Corinthians, we've just come off of a week where Paul talks about lawsuits among believers, where believers in the church were defrauding one another and bringing lawsuits against one another. And then chapter 5 is all about sexual immorality in the church of an unrepentant nature where the church doesn't care. The church doesn't do anything about it. And after he says those things, he comes to this text and he says, Don't you know? People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. You can't live like this and inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's trying to say to us. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, no matter if they think they will. Matthew 5, verse 8, the Beatitudes, who does Jesus say will see God? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, we find that there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It actually says, strive for it, pursue the holiness without which no one will see God. Or in Romans 8.13, the words of Apostle Paul himself. Romans 8.13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Spiritually, eternal death. If you live according to your flesh, you will die. So there's a warning here, and we need to feel this as a stern warning from Paul and from God this morning. If we live like this, if we live in unrighteousness, we will not go to heaven. If we live in unrighteousness, if our lives are characterized by unrighteousness, if we make peace with sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Specifically this morning, I want to warn you not to be deceived by three things. Three things that could deceive you this morning. Be on the lookout. Number one, don't be deceived by the world. Don't be deceived by the world. The world, brothers and sisters, is doing its level best to justify sin. To justify its sin. To make it seem like sin is okay. There are all kinds of philosophies out there in the world, worldly philosophies, that are based on one idea. All kinds of philosophies, one idea. And the idea is this. I want to live in sin and not have to pay for it. And there are all kinds of philosophies based on this one idea. This is the foundation for them all. Think about it. The sexual revolution. The whole idea of the sexual revolution is we want to live in sin and not have to deal with the consequences. You can see that in so many different developments in the last half century or maybe more of the sexual revolution and the way that it's, it's gone and the way that it's progressed. Think about universalism. Universalism is a philosophy that says everyone goes to heaven in the end. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. In the end, somehow, someway, everyone will go to heaven. Well, the foundation of that idea is I want to live in sin and not have to deal with any eternal consequences. And so if there's a way that everyone just goes to heaven, well, then I can do what I want and not feel bad about it and not have to worry, right? Now, on the other side, there's atheism. But atheism is just the flip side of that coin. And it's the same idea. I want to live in sin and not have to deal with the consequences. 
Why is atheism a product of that? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, every single human being, every single human being, walks outside, looks at creation and says, oh, there's a God who made all of this, and I owe him my allegiance. Paul says every single human being knows this, but what do we do? So many suppress that truth. They suppress the truth. They push it down, and they try not to deal with it. If I don't look at it, ignorance is bliss. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to reckon with God if I suppress that truth. If I stick my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 and act like it's not there, pretty soon they convince themselves that it's not there. Atheism is a dishonest philosophy, a disingenuous philosophy when it comes down to it, because it's a suppression of the truth that they know for the purpose of living in sin and not having to pay for it. Or think about this, the philosophy of so many people that we talk to today. God wouldn't send a person like me to hell, surely. Where do we get these things? Not the Bible. They're not in here. They're a product of this idea, I want to live in sin and not have to pay for it. But brothers and sisters, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. All of us in here understand that because we felt it, right? We've experienced the consequences of our own personal sin. We sin and then we experience the consequences of it. We've been there, right? But it's not just temporal consequences here on earth. Sin has eternal consequences consequences. And that's the most important kind. Living in sin has eternal consequences. And so this morning, Paul is urging us, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can live in unrighteousness and still inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't. Now, Paul is not saying that Christians do not sin. Paul's not saying that we don't struggle with sin as Christians. We do. What he's saying is, you cannot make peace with sin and inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, right? You can't live a double life. You can't have a life that's characterized by sin. And cherish sin and still think that you will inherit the kingdom of God. And so don't be deceived by the world. But second, don't be deceived by Satan. Don't be deceived by Satan. Now, Satan's main method of attack might not be what you think it is. Satan's main method of attacking human beings is not demon possession, although he has done that. Satan's main method of attack is not even temptation. That's not his main method. Satan's main method of attack, his primary goal is deception. John 8, 44 Satan is a liar. He has been a liar from the beginning. When he lies, he speaks his native language, it says. That's Jesus' words. Think about all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. Satan says, you won't surely die. Surely you, you won't die. God said it, but surely that's not the truth. And he is whispering lies today to all of us, to the world. Because, you see... Demon possession or temptation, that stuff, he, he can wreak havoc 
in a localized way. Havoc here, havoc there. But if he can deceive people and pass along that deception, he can wreak havoc on a mass scale. Because what happens when people believe things that are not true? They start doing stuff that lines up with that misplaced view of reality. And it hurts themselves and others around them. Satan is out to deceive. He's whispering things to us like, there are many paths to God. It's not just one path to God. It's not just Jesus. There's many paths to God. You can get to God in all kinds of other ways. Or, God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. He's not really there. It's just something that someone invented to control people and to make people behave. God doesn't really exist. Or, God would never send someone to hell. He would never do that. He's a loving God. He would never send someone to hell. Go do what you want. Go enjoy sin. Because he's not going to send you to hell. Satan's main method of attack is deception. Don't be deceived by Satan. But finally, third, don't be deceived by yourself. Don't be deceived by yourself. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we read this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, my whole life, Disney has been telling me to follow my heart. And that is totally bogus. It's horrible advice. Because what happens when you follow your heart? What happens when everybody follows their heart? What has happened as a result of everybody following their heart? Open your eyes and look at it out there. Look at our society. This is what happens when you follow your heart. Because the heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. You see, we are really good. Human beings, we're really good at justifying ourselves and convincing ourselves that everything's fine. We're really good at this. I mean, really good. To the point to where self-deception, you don't realize you're deceiving yourself when you deceive yourself. That's the very definition of deception. You're deceiving yourself. You don't even realize it. We're really good at justifying ourselves. We're really good at convincing ourselves we're fine when we're not. We're really good at looking at everybody else and saying, I'm not as bad as all of them. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't have to feel bad about my sin. When in reality, we should be in sorrow and repentance over the way that we have treated the Lord, and treated others, and even treated ourselves. We're very good at justifying ourselves. Very good at it. You have to distrust yourself in a way because it's sneaky how good we are at it don't deceive yourself paul is saying here you cannot call yourself a christian and live like this you can't you're deceiving yourself if you think you can in in all of our talk and all of our preaching and teaching on forgiveness and grace how we can't be good enough for god to save us how god saves us saves us in spite of our sin how no sin is, is too horrible for God to forgive. All that stuff's true. But in all of our preaching and teaching on forgiveness and grace, some may think, well then, even though I consistently give in to this sin, Jesus took my punishment. I'm forgiven. So I can continue to give in to it, and God has to forgive me. Because of Jesus. That's God's job now. He has to forgive me, so I'm just going to continue this back and forth, right? And Paul says, you are deceiving yourself. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
Don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. Once again there. But then Paul says, Galatians 6, 7, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, don't think that you are the exception to the rule. You can't mock God. You can't say, yeah, I know the Bible says when you sin, there's punishment, but not for me. I I know the Bible says if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but not for me. This doesn't apply to me. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. God has set up the world to work in a certain way. And we have this way of convincing ourselves, yeah, but not me. I can get out of this. It doesn't really apply to me. Not in this instance, not not with this sin. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? And yet that's what we do. That's what so many of us do. We carry fire and we think we're not going to be burned. We think, oh, not me. Yeah, it's going to happen to every one of us. We reap what we sow. We're deceiving ourselves if we think we can live in sin and inherit the kingdom of God. Now, look at that list. It starts in the middle of verse 9. It goes down to verse 10. Look at that list. I think what Paul's doing here is he's giving you a list of, of sins that kind of characterize the church of that day, the church in Corinth little Bible reading tip here. When you come across a list from the Apostle Paul, it's never an exhaustive list. Okay, It's never a list that includes everything he could have included. It's just a, a subsection. It's just a sample. right? It's a list of things that could be included, but other things could be included too. But I think here in this list, Paul's probably listing things that characterize the church of that day. And so there were people living in these kinds of lives who thought, well, yeah, I, I can still be like that and still inherit the kingdom of God. And so the question is, what about the church of today? What about the church now? What are the sins that characterize us now? What are the sins where we're deceiving ourselves, thinking, I can live in that and still inherit the kingdom of God? What are they today? Pornography? Or maybe... If it's not pornography particularly, maybe it's the things that we are watching on TV and movies. What about gossip? When's the last time you repented for gossip? Gossip's one of those respectable sins. We've almost convinced ourselves it's not a sin. You know, when, when we gossip, we, we don't even say anything about it. We don't even recognize sometimes that we have just sinned when we gossip. But it's clear in Scripture gossip is a sin. Think about this one. Speaking of respectable sins, selfishness with our money and possessions. That'll actually get you respect. If you're selfish with your money and possessions, you spend it on yourself, and you make sure you've got really nice stuff, you're building a life for yourself in a way that everybody can see, people start to look at you and be like, oh, that's a respectable person. They're getting a lot of influence around town because of the things that that they have and the things they drive and the house that they live in, right? Right? Now, I'm not saying to any of us that I know what your heart is doing with your possessions, but this is one of those respectable sins that I think we've convinced ourselves that we can can just have and not repent of it and live in it. Don't deceive yourself. Coming to church each week and saying prayers before meals does not make you a Christian, brothers and sisters. 
I think there are people all across America, there could be people in our church today, in this church, who firmly believe they are saved when they are not. They believe they're saved because of things like family tradition, because of things like coming to church every week and saying prayers before our meals and speaking nice words about Jesus and about Christians. But brothers and sisters, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says there will be some on Judgment Day who look Him in the face and are fully expecting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. But what do they hear? They hear Jesus say, depart from me. I didn't know you. Can you imagine what that feels like for someone to expect to go into heaven and then to hear those words and all of a sudden it is sealed. No second chance ever. It's over. Do not be that person. Do not deceive yourself and convince yourself, I'm a Christian because I've always been a Christian. Do you really know Christ? If you think there's a chance that you don't, take care of it before it's too late. Give your heart and your life to Him before it's too late. Don't believe the lie that we often tell ourselves. We deceive ourselves a lot of the times by saying, I've got more time. I'll get serious about Jesus later. I've got more time. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie straight from hell. We don't know that. None of us know that we have anything beyond right now. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Any of us could pass away today. Jesus could come back today. And we have convinced ourselves that that's not going to happen. Why? Because every day that we have lived before now, it hasn't happened. That's the only thing we have to go on. But every time somebody that we know, it's not us, somebody that we know passes away too early and too young by a tragedy, all of a sudden we're reminded, that could be me. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived by the world. Don't be deceived by Satan. And don't be deceived by yourself. But brothers and sisters... Let's thank God this morning that that's not all that's in the text. That's not the end of our text this morning. See, we're, we're going we're to change the mood of the sermon now, right now, because of verse 11, where Paul says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were were, past tense, some of us. Do you see yourself in that list in verses 9 and 10? Do you see yourself in it? I do. Do you see yourself in it before Christ, before you came to Christ? Do you see yourself in this list? Because, brothers and sisters, some of us were sexually immoral. That defines some of us before we came to Christ. Some of us, or I might say all of us, were idolaters before we came to Jesus. There was something else sitting on the throne of my heart before I came to Jesus. Some of us were adulterers. Some of us were before we came to Jesus. Some of us, by our deeds, were adulterers. Some of us were adulterers by our thoughts. Some of us practiced homosexuality. That's right. God saves people out of homosexual lifestyles. 
He does. He does it all the time. God saves people out of these lifestyles. Homosexuality right there is included within a list of all kinds of other sins. Why? Because homosexuality is just one of them. It's not the worst. It's not the unforgivable sin. It's something that God saves people out of all the time. I can introduce you to people who are living celibate lifestyles for Christ right now, denying their sexual urges that will not go away, even though they've already become a Christian. And they're taking up their cross every single day, and they're following Jesus because He saved them out of a homosexual lifestyle. See, when when you come to, to Jesus, sometimes He just changes your desires and you just quit cold turkey. Sometimes it happens like that. I've met people where it's happened like that. And it's amazing, and I'm like... Good for you. I'm I'm so glad that you experienced that. But sometimes, God saves you. And then your desires don't go away. Your sinful desires, your flesh, it's still there. And what that means is you've got to wake up every single day. Take up your cross and deny yourself and follow Jesus again. Every day. It's like that for a lot of us. God saves people out of all of these lifestyles, homosexuality included. Some of us, keep going down the list, some of us, before Christ, we're stealing things. Some of us were greedy. Maybe all of us were greedy. Some of us, before Christ, were revilers with our words. The things that came out of our mouths to other people were abusive and horrible. Some of us, before we came to Christ, were swindling people out of their money. We're doing it in a respectful way, but we were swindling people out of their money. Some of us were characterized by more than one of these things. And then we saw it. And he looked at us and he said, follow me. And we knew right away, I've got to say yes. It's Jesus. I feel it right away. Yes, I'm going to leave all of that and follow you. And we did. Some of us. We left it and we follow Christ now. We turned away from that life. We left it behind. We forsook all of that stuff. And even though we still have to say no to our desires sometimes, we turned away from it. We repented of it. We don't want it anymore. We're not making peace with that anymore. We're not having two masters anymore. We've got one and he's Jesus and we're following him because he looked at us and he said, follow me. And I think he's saying it to some of you this morning. I think he's saying it to some of us right now. Right now. Drawing a line in the sand, and Jesus is saying, you're going to follow me or not? I've said it over and over and over to you. Are you going to follow me or not? There's people in this room, there's people watching on Facebook right now. Jesus is saying to you, Follow me. Come, follow me. But to do it, you're going to have to forsake everything else. You're going to have to leave behind everything else. You're going to have to turn away from everything else. Follow me. He's saying, leave that life. He's saying to you, I can satisfy you and give you the satisfaction that you've been looking for in all of those other places. But you've got to leave all of the unrighteousness behind. You've got to forsake it for me. Brothers and sisters, it's not an easy choice, but it's worth it a hundred times out of a hundred. 
And so, when we see this in our text, in verse 11, I want to draw your attention to three things that Paul says are true about you once you are in Christ. Once you come to Christ, there are three things that are true about you in verse 11. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Three things. Washed, sanctified, and justified. What do they really mean? Well, we were washed. For those of us who have come to Christ this morning, we were washed by Jesus' blood. Did you feel dirty when you came to Christ? Did you feel ashamed of your life when you came to Jesus? I did. That's part of it. That's why I came. Right? Maybe some of us feel like that right now. Maybe there's some of us who haven't come to Jesus yet, and they feel ashamed right now of your life. He can wash it all away. 1 John chapter 1 says Jesus' blood has the power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us, to wash it away. Psalm 103, starting in verse 10, says this, He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. That's what it means to be washed. To have your sins washed away, God takes them and removes them as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? How far is the east away from the west? Well, just start going east. Guess what? If you keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going, no matter how far you went, you can still go all the way back west and all the way back east. Why? Because it's as far away as you can get. As far as the east is from the west is infinitely far. That's how far he removes our sins from us. That's what being washed is. We were washed, but we were also sanctified. You were sanctified when you came to Christ. What does that mean? It means set apart. It means Jesus grabs you out of this world and says, you are mine. From now on, you are different. You are chosen. Think about what it must have been like for the 12 apostles when Jesus looked them in the eye and said, follow me. And in that moment... Their heart felt like it got hit. When Jesus' eyes locked with theirs, and he said, follow me. And they knew right then and there, they were making a decision for the rest of their life and for all eternity. And they knew right then and there, I've got to do this. No matter how much it costs, I've got to do this, because this is Jesus. You see, when Jesus calls you, when you follow Jesus, you, you don't have all the information. You don't know everything there is to know. You don't even know every, all, all the risks. But you sense it in your heart. It's so hard to explain, you guys, but you, you feel it in your heart that this is Him. This is the Messiah. He, he's from God. And He's asking me to do this. He's asking me to follow Him. I have to say yes. My eternity depends on it. This is right. That's what it feels like to follow Jesus. That's what it must have felt like for those disciples, only He was right in front of their faces. You know, my wife and my kids and I have been watching this, this show called The Chosen. It's a story about the life of Christ. And every now and then, Jesus will come up on one of the 12 disciples, and he'll look straight at him. And the show does a really good job of helping you feel the, the magnitude of that moment. 
You know, there's music. It's, it's, it's more than just reading it in the Scripture. The, the Scripture is, is God's truth. The Scripture is the only inspired word. This shows just a, a creation, right? It, it's got its flaws. But it's helpful to feel it. To feel what it, what, it, what it must have been like when Jesus turned around and looked at Matthew and said, follow me. And he's a tax collector and he's like, me? And Jesus says, yeah, I want you. And then he just goes. Why? Because he knows this is Jesus. This is him. I feel it in my heart. I see it in his eyes. He's pierced through my soul. I've got to do this. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so when Paul says we're sanctified, it means Jesus has grabbed us and set us apart. He says, you're different now. You're mine. You're set apart. Follow me. And then finally, he says, we were justified. Justified. You know what justified means? We don't use this word all the time in our everyday conversations. Justified means he does not count our sins against us. He treats us as if we were not guilty. Clay talked about it earlier in his meditation. It's not fair. What's going on at the cross is not fair. It's completely unfair. Unfair for everybody involved. Unfair for Jesus, unfair for us. Right? With Jesus, Jesus is treated as if he is guilty on the cross. When he's not. But he's treated as if he is guilty. Because our sins were transferred to him. God's punishing him for our sins. It's not fair. It's often been said, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it's, it's really only happened once. Right? really only happened one time in the history of the world. Bad things happening to a good person. It's not fair. But then the flip side is, we are treated as if we were not guilty. When we actually are. That's justification. He doesn't count our sins against us because of Christ. When you come to Christ, your sins are transferred to His account. His righteousness is transferred to your account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's justification. And so if you are in Christ today, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. So worship Him. Thank Him. We'll never stop thanking Him. But if you're not in Christ today, if you've always just assumed you were a Christian because... You got dunked under water one time, and then you've lived however you've wanted ever since? Or you've always just assumed you're a believer because we come to church regularly, and my family's always been a Christian family? There's a chance you might not have been washed or sanctified or justified, but you can be, and you can be sure about that today. Here in just a moment, Dwayne's going to play for us just a little bit, and as he does... We're asking every single person in this room, every single person watching on Facebook, this is a time for all of us to respond to God's Word to us. Right? We, we usually have an invitation time where we ask people to come forward and respond. And sometimes people do, sometimes nobody does. But every single one of us has to respond to God's Word every single week. And so we want to give a time where we do that. We're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer. I want each and every single one of us in here to be responding to the Lord. I don't know what it means for you. I don't know what's going to go on between you and God. But we're praying individually, responding to what God has laid on our heart. Then after a few moments of that, 
We'll have a time where someone, if they need to, can respond publicly. But before that, let's spend just a few moments in private prayer.